Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next few minutes, we're going to ask you to stay with us. 30 minutes of motivation, some inspiration, some education. Obviously, we do this without any type of manipulation. That's right. No appeals for money. We're not trying to hustle you. Uh, We're not trying to ask you to join up, fess up, give it up, nothing like that. All we're trying to do is give you 30 minutes of information. Information designed to help you understand God's plan for your life. If I can do that, if I can uh, give you that information, you can orient and adjust to the plan. So the Flatline Show is designed to remind you of all the biblical truths we talk about, introduce you to a, a different way of studying, an in-depth way of studying and learning God's Word. And it's all done, as I said, with no manipulation. Just me here trying to verify and identify that plan for you. Hopefully, you will adjust to the plan if you hear it. And it all starts with the best news the world has ever known, the news that Jesus Christ, the anointed Son of God, redeemed us out of the slave market of sin, and our debt to God has been paid, and we're now free of the penalty of death and free of the power of sin. And if you receive Christ as your Savior, you, in effect, can accept the offering He made on your behalf. That's the free gift of God, compliments of His grace. That's why the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should brag about it. Also in Titus 3, 5 through 7 in the New Testament, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord and that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's the best news I could tell you ever, whether or not you believe it, whether or not you accept it, that's the best news you'll ever hear. Today on the flat line, we want to talk about the cosmic system. I want to identify the cosmic system, tell you what it is, tell you where it came from and how to avoid it. But remember the flat line. Flot stands for forward line of troops. And what we're trying to do is introduce you to the 10 unique problem-solving devices found in the Word of God, 10 wonderful problem-solving devices. And if you learn them and use them, they will act as a defensive perimeter, a forward line of troops, F-L-O-T. It's a military analogy. These unique problem-solving devices are nothing new. This is not some new discovery. This is not some technique we're trying to sell you, nothing like that. These are age-old biblical doctrines. But when you understand them and you use them, you can definitely stop the outside sources of adversity before they ever become the inside sources of stress. That's why we always say adversity is inevitable, but stress is optional. So with that in mind, let's learn about the cosmic system. What is the cosmic system? Well, let me start off with a verse of Scripture that we're going to build on. That verse of Scripture is found in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Here's what it says. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. 
If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, it's of the world. But the world passes away, and the lust of it as well. But he that doeth the will of God will abide forever. By the way, John 6, Jesus said, This is the will of the one who sent me, that you believe in me, whom he have sent. And abideth forever, he that believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Bible says, is born again. He that believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And he that believeth not, the wrath of God abides on him already. Abiding forever is you having a resurrection body, you living on the new heaven and in the new earth. No more tear, no more sorrow, no more pain. The old things are passed away. It's a wonderful gift from God, compliments of the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross as he became our substitute. So there are several ways we can study a scripture like this one in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Uh, in this case, we're going to do what's called an exegetical study. That means a little word by word, exegetical, word by word, word by word in this verse, and uh, try to determine exactly what John's intent is when he wrote this, because that's who wrote it, John, one of the original disciples. And here's what he said. Let's start off with this one, love not the world. We start off with the present active imperative, and this is a morphology of that verb is an imperative mood in the Greek New Testament, and it's the present tense. So as a believer, this is a durative present. There never is a time you're supposed to do this. You should not do it today, you should not do it tomorrow, and you should not do it in the future. And the imperative mood is what we call the mood of command. It's the commander's intent. This is a command from God through the Apostle John. Love, not the world. The word love is agapao, A-G-A-P-A-O. There are a lot of different words for love in the New Testament. They're all translated L-O-V-E, but they could be phileo, agapao, stokeo, or erao. Erao is where we get the English word erotic, Phileo is where we get the word Philadelphia, or brotherly love, and agapao is agape, or God's love, what we're talking about. So love not the world, and we have a negative with it. We have a strong Greek negative with it, me, M-E, and so we have agapao me. Me means do not, do not love the world. Now, in the New Testament, agape and agapao are used consistently throughout the New Testament. And love is one of our problem-solving devices. If you'll remember, in problem-solving device number seven and number eight, we have personal love for God and impersonal love for others. Personal love for God is motivational virtue. If you love me, you'll keep my mandates. My mandates are not grievous, the Lord Jesus Christ said. And so personal love for God is supposed to motivate us to be obedient, not arrogant. And then we have impersonal love for others where even in the Old Testament, they were told to love their neighbors as they love themselves. And in the New Testament, Jesus gave a new commandment in John 13, love one another. And so we have to use a different type of love 
impersonal love, and we've talked about that before, and I'll be glad to send you some information about this. It's a way to love obnoxious people. Basically, what you're doing is loving them based on your personality, not theirs. You're loving them based on the content of your heart and soul, not theirs. That means you can have a relaxed mental attitude when they are in your periphery, that you don't vibrate, the hair on the back of your neck doesn't stand up, your eyes don't turn red. Anytime that, you know what walks into the room. And sure, there are people that do that to you. People that just set you off, maybe even family members, maybe someone you're associated with at work, some arrogant idiot that you have to work with every day, and they just drive you nuts, but you have to love them. And the only way you can do it is to love through the love of God. He loved you, and you loved them the way he loved you with impersonal love. God loved you impersonally until you became saved. Once you got into the royal family of God, he poured out his personal love on you. But the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You were not even saved when he loved you in eternity past. And thus it was the impersonal love of God loving you. Now that you're a member of the royal family of God, hopefully you are, now God loves you. And uh, we can describe the attitude of God toward his son in John 17, 26, his attitude toward the whole human race in John 3, 16. I just quoted that. And uh, as such, as those who believe in Jesus Christ, and particularly in John 14, 21, he that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me, loves me, and he that loves me, Jesus speaking, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will reveal myself to him. So you have a choice. You can love the world, which is the cosmic system, the things that are in the world, which are the uh, pleasures of life, temporary as they may be, or you can love the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, John 14, 21, he that has my commandments and keeps them, and being obedient, then that's the one that loves me. And he that loves me will even be loved by my Father, and I will love him also and reveal myself to him. Now, also, there's another way we can talk about love, and that's to convey his will to his children concerning their attitude towards one another. That's the new commandment in John 13:34, where Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. You love one another just like I loved you. You must love one another. And then towards all men, we have to love all men. That's what the Word of God teaches. That's what the Word of God says. And so, in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, the Lord make you to increase and abound in love towards one another and towards all men, even as we do towards you. This is Paul writing, talking to the church at Thessalonica, and he wanted them to love one another just like he loved them. In 1 Corinthians 16, 14, the Bible says, let everything be done with love. In 2 Peter 1, 7, add to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. And so love is the unique will of God for your life. It also sums up the character of God. And if you want to understand the essential nature of God, 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. So, 
You want to know what God's like? He's not sitting up there with a big white beard on a throne. That's your human idea of what God is like. He is uh, he's, he's transitional. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. But he is, of all things, love. But his love is guarded by his justice. And what the righteousness of God rejects and the justice of God must judge. There's no way around it. So God initiated contact with you because he loved you and he provided his son for you. So this word love or agapao is generally used of motivational virtue for the Christian life. Having personal love for God. And that's what gives you the desire to serve God and obey God. But in this case, John's warning. And he's, he's demanding that we don't have that type of love motivating us to worship the things that the world offers. Temporary happiness in people or in circumstances. That's all the world can offer you. The cosmic system, what we call cosmos diabolicus, is the system of evil perpetuated by Satan designed as a strategy to control believers and unbelievers alike. So John is warning you, don't fall in love with the world. Don't fall in love with the world, that temporary happiness in people and circumstances. All the world can offer you is temporary. That's it. Nothing else. It cannot any, ever give you anything that will provide happiness or joy over the long run. Uh, that's provided by fulfilling God's plan in your life. That's the only way that that can ever be provided. So, in 1 John 2.15, the things that are in the world, the eye candy, the eye candy that the world has, stay away from it. Do not love the world, nor should you love the things that are in the world. That's the eye candy. The temporary things, the approbation of the world, or the attention of the world. That's what a, people, a lot of people like that. Uh, approbation lust is a real thing. It's a desire to, for people to pay attention to you. And sometimes I'll be speaking and somebody will ask me a question and say, what do you think about such and such? I know they're not interested in what I think about it. They're interested in telling me what they think about it. So I'll usually answer their question with a question. I'll usually say, well, I don't know. What do you think about it? And off they go to tell me their scholarly viewpoint of what they're considering I may be wrong about. So people love approbation. Uh, in the church, people love approbation. They love the preacher paying attention to them. And if he doesn't pay enough attention to them, they will fire him. They will get rid of him. They do not want someone that's going to study and teach the Word of God consistently over the long haul. They want someone that'll be like a shepherd, that'll love them and come to their house and have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and visit with them and and uh, hold their hand when they go to the hospital. And listen, that's the last thing you need, some preacher coming up there and saying, you'll make it, sister. My mama died with it, but you'll make it. Hang in there. Listen, I'm sorry to be so sarcastic, but there are deacons in the church who are designed to handle those sort of things, not the pastor. He must study. He must apply himself to teaching the Word of God. And if he doesn't learn it, he can't teach it. And any church that doesn't give him the opportunity to teach is doing an injustice to the pastor. And when they demand more eye service, more hand service, 
more personal care than they do teaching the Word of God, then they're never going to grow spiritually. So this word love is the essential nature of God. And the word is generally used as a motivational virtue for the Christian life, personal love for God. That's what gives us the motivation to obey him. And uh, in this case, John warns us and demands that we don't have that type of love in the world. We should not be motivated to worship what the world offers. All the world can offer you is a temporary happiness in people and circumstances, anything. Anything the world offers you is only temporary. It cannot, it will not ever provide the happiness and the joy that's provided by fulfilling God's plan for your life. Don't love the world, the things that are in the world, the temporary, the approbation of the world, the attention of the world. And then 1 John 2.15 says, If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We'll break this down for you. Eon tis agapao. Eon is a third-class condition, meaning it's possible. It's the word if. It's a conditional particle making reference to something in the future. If, tis, the Greek word tis, an indefinite pronoun referring to a certain man, certain individual, man or woman. If any man love the world. Love is a present active subjunctive verb, agapao. So the present tense is any man or woman continues to love the world, to pursue the world, the active voice, they use their volition to do it, and the subjunctive mood is the mood of potential. If they love the world, the cosmos diabolicus, K-O-S-M-O-S, the cosmos, the cosmic system, the devil's world, occupation with the cosmic system, and its nefarious activities which promise that you will be happy, it promises to give you contentment, and it's all a lie. Jesus Christ our Lord said, Happiness belongs to those people who hear my Father's word and keep it. I can give you illustration after illustration of people of wealth and means and power that are not happy. They've been married and divorced many times. They've squandered fortunes on drugs and alcohol. They've sought for happiness in all the wrong places. Even the great Elvis, whom we all loved and adore as a great singer, said, someone asked him, said, when you first started making music, you said you wanted to be rich and famous and happy. Elvis, you are rich. You are famous. Are you happy? And Elvis replied, no, I'm lonely. There you go. The world cannot fulfill that emptiness in your heart. The love of the Father, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, 1 John 2 says. This is not saying he's not saved. What it's saying is he doesn't have any motivational virtue. So we have love for the world, okay, agapao, and we have love for the Father. Both of these are motivational situations. The love for the world is a false motivation. And the love for the Father is the true motivation. However, how can you love someone you don't know? And until you understand the character of God, it's kind of impossible to love him. You must know that he's omnipotent, omniscience, omnipresence, immutability, veracity, that he's eternal life, that he's love, that he's so many things that you may not even know about. The character of God is unbelievable. 
And it's a problem-solving device for us. And we look back and see that he doesn't change, that he loves us. He's sovereignty. He's righteousness. He's justice. That's God. And so 1 John 5, 3 says, This is the love of God, that we keep his mandates, and those mandates are not grievous. You see, when there's no personal love for God, then you as a Christian are easily manipulated by the well-planned strategy of the devil because you will be lured into the cosmic system. It's called evil. It's the plan that Satan has. God's plan is always grace, always has been grace. Evil is the plan of Satan. The most evil thing in the world, listen to what I'm about to say, is organized religion. God is not the author of organized religion. Organized religion is Satan's tool. It's his ace trump. The Bible says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out devils, do many wonderful works? And he said, I'll tell them, I never knew you. Organized religion will tell you the way to salvation is to work for God, to be good, to be nice, to be moral, to give some money, to pray, you'll be saved. That's not what the Bible says. Those are things that Christians do, obviously, yes, but it's not how you become a Christian. You become a Christian by putting faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone, and you express that faith to God in prayers, and the Bible says, whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Organized religion leaves a big doubt. Organized religion will put a chain around your neck. Organized religion will tell you that you can't be a Christian if you drink, you can't be a Christian if you smoke, you can't be a Christian if you do this or do that. And if you do those things, organized religion will say, well, you're probably not a Christian anyhow. Who is designed to judge people? Only God. Matthew 7 says, don't judge lest you be judged. And so Ephesians 6.11 is a warning about not knowing the enemy's strategy. The cosmic system is the strategy of the devil, the cosmos diabolicus. And so if you want to know what's going on, here's what the verse says, put on the armor of God so you may be able to stand against the strategy of the devil. Satan's strategy is simple. It's to lure you into the cosmos diabolicus, into that cosmic system. And his strategy as ruler of this world is to control you and even the unbeliever. It's his policy because he is the ruler of this world. We don't belong here. We're sojourners, the Bible says. We're passing through. Our home is in heaven, uranos, the Greek word, and we're pilgrims. This is the devil's world, and this world will be destroyed by fire. Anything Satan has touched throughout the universe will be burnt up and destroyed by fire. Second Peter tells us that, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and this is our eternal abode. And so uh, Satan's strategy is to control you. How does he do it? With arrogance, abnormal preoccupation with self, then you get lured into becoming even antagonistic and intolerant towards the plan, towards the purpose, towards the will of God. You begin to live a life without the influence of God's word, and that life can be devastating. 
devastating to human morale even due to failure and frustration that you'll face in your life. But, uh, you know, I hear it all the time. The claim today is that uh, anyone who does this stuff must not really be saved, and, and that's false. That's a lie. No one can determine who's saved except God. But the choice is yours. You can make spiritual living your priority, or you can make cosmic living your priority. You can function under divine viewpoint or human viewpoint. But I assure you of this. If you do not use rebound, problem-solving device number one, and allow the Holy Spirit to consistently control your life as a Christian, then you will never advance in the plan of God, and you will never find happiness as God designed you for. You will always be lured back into the cosmic system. You will always be tempted to find happiness in people and circumstances. So you have to recognize when you sin and deal with the sin, as well as recognize when the enemy is trying to exploit your human lust pattern and eventually, obviously, enslave you to following your own desires contrary to God's desires. When you do that, that arrogance leads to self-destruction. 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. So the result of any man being involved in the cosmic system is going to ultimately be chaos personally and even nationally. And any believer who gets trapped in that cosmic system can actually become a cosmic evangelist for the devil, trying to lure other believers to go down the same my way highway that only ends in death and destruction. So when anybody through their own arrogance and their own power lust gravitate into the cosmic system using their own volition, they make those decisions from a position of weakness, and this has both personal and national repercussions. How do you avoid the cosmic system? You do exactly what Ephesians 6, 11 through 18 said. Put on the armor of God, strap it on, understand the strategy of the devil, put on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, pick up the shield of faith, pick up the sword of the word of God. It's all there. This means you must grow consistently under the filling of the Holy Spirit so that not only you recognize who you are, that you recognize what Satan is, what his plan is, and what God's plan for you entails. I hope you're listening. I don't want you trapped in the cosmic system. I want you to live in God's plan and will for your life. So until next week, this is Rick Hughes, host of The Flotline, saying thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for listening to The Flotline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.